welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club. I am Spike Eskin, along with Moot Lou. Yo, yo. Moot Lou, as if it were two words. Right, this, there's a hyphen in between. Yes, Moot-Lou. Moot-Lou. This is the uh, the music podcast from Rights to Ricky Sanchez. Our intro music is from Marion Hill. It's called I Should Let You Know. We will do three records today. The, the purpose of this podcast is if the first time you're listening, it's to either talk about music that you already love, maybe you like one of these albums, or turn you on to some music you might not have known, or maybe both. Maybe you know one of the records in this in this like this pod and you hear one of the other ones you like that. So it's been a way for Mootlu and I to learn about new music and hopefully you too. So if you want to suggest an album, do in the Apple podcast reviews. We're up to 61 five-star ratings. When we get to 100, Mootlu does the 80s sitcom Megamix. Uh, leave it in the I, the Apple podcast reviews. Or if you don't use Apple, go to carllandryrecordclub.com. Here we are, man. Yeah, man. It's, I'm realizing this is our first uh, straight ahead record club pod in a while because we had uh, yes in a few interviews and we had the best of, um, which were all great. Marion Hill, and then having Jason and AU on for the best of, which which really was an awesome episode. It was. I, uh, I ended up. I ended up. Really, uh, some of the songs that I didn't think I loved when we first did. I, first of all, I was surprised. If you haven't heard it, we did 20 songs for 2020. So we each, I, Mutlu, Jason Lipschitz, Andrew Unterberger, all picked out five songs from 2020 that we loved. We all listened to them and talked about them. And I, first, I loved a larger percentage of them than I thought I would. But then even the ones that I didn't love the first time that we went through it, I gave a little more time and I ended up not turning the corner all the way, your Thundercat song. Yeah. Oh, have you turned the corner on that now? So now I ah. smile when it pops up. Okay, I don't, good. I won't put it in run playlists all the time, but every once in a while when I'm looking for something, I'll be like, yeah, maybe let's go with that. <laughs> so, And the Pop Smoke song, which I didn't really like the first time I've, I've sort of turned the corner on. So it was a good way to learn a bunch of new stuff, I think, for me. Yeah, there was there were so many great sort of new discoveries for me uh, on that one. For example, the Westerman. I wasn't oh, familiar yeah. with him. So good. So good. I, I, I love what he does. And, you know, that's, a bit, that's an artist I'd never heard of. It was a nice snapshot of sort of what we're trying to do of just music discovery conversation really really cool yeah yeah i thought so so we have so how's life you all right you good yeah good i'm just uh you know you know i'm trying to do you ever have this feeling maybe it's a collective feeling of like cautious optimism yeah with an with a deep underbelly of just an ominous feeling underneath <laughs> it it's like a it's like it's like the bread yeah. One one slice is hopefulness. The other slide is other slide. The other side is uh, cautious optimism. And in between, like the deli meat, you know the deli meat. Yeah, you know the, the provolone and the, that's not the meat. That's cheese. But you know the so it's an optimism sandwich. Whereas the optimism is the meat. No, the the uh, here we go. The, okay. the bread. The bread is the, the top slice is the optimism. The bottom okay. slice is the cautious is the hopefulness. And the in the between meat? the deli meats are the ominous feeling. Oh, in between it's like a it's like a it's like you know it's 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 an ominous feeling that's wrapped inside cautious optimism. 
Now I'm talking myself in circles, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it doesn't it's sound like the way I would feeling. describe a sandwich, If if it, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> to even try to describe what I'm feeling as a sandwich is a very peculiar way yeah. to do it. <laughs> you, you know, if I'm describing the sandwich, normally I'm not describing two different kinds of bread, which is, I, I think, right. the, the first part you did. Okay, how about this? Two slices of hopefulness with yep. something ominous in between, which there is the capical. Yes. I know what you're feeling. Hmm. I, I'll get a little, I'll get a deep on you as well. I mentioned this to my brother, maybe when, am I, am I allowed to, I'm trying to think whether I'm allowed to say this now based on his life. I think I am. Uh, in the last, recently, uh, you know, the last year, I was in Colorado with my brother and we were in the uh, mountains of Colorado hiking. You know, just sort of, I had never gone hiking before. I love being outside and I love exercise, but I've never gone hiking. It was a good time, but a lot of time to, to think, right? And I mentioned to him, every once in a while, I, I feel tremendous, I love what I do for work, right? And then there's the two podcasts on top of it and all that stuff. I love what I do from work, but I feel tremendously stressed by work. Not in a bad way, I'm, I'm driven by it, but it's always on my mind, it's always there. I'm always worried about something. And in my life in general, oh, I got this pod to do, I got that pod to do, I got this at work. Every once in a while, maybe for a minute, I'll get this feeling when I'll be like, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm right. gonna get it done. And just totally everything's gonna be all right. And I, I have everything in, in its proper perspective, but it only lasts a minute. Sometimes I feel like my life is constantly chasing that minute. And the mistake that I make is I think sometimes if I just get all of this stuff done, then I'll be able to be in that space again. But the truth is there's always more stuff to do. So always another day of work. There's always another podcast. So that space is more about my mindset and less about having less stuff. Because even when I have less stuff to do, I still feel that tension. But I, I live for those minutes where, not that I don't think I have anything to do and not that I don't care about it, but I am not concerned or stressed about it in the way that I often am. That's really interesting. I, I, I can connect to that in a way because don't you find in some ways that the worry or the stress or the mental gymnastics you have to do to prepare for something, isn't that the most difficult part of it? Once you're into it. I'm fine. You, right. But it's all the in-between worry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm kind of an OCD compulsive person anyway. You know, I'm always listing things out, thinking about them, running them through my head. Um, and I think that's the hardest part is to, is to how do you mediate or mitigate that stress that comes in between what it is you actually have to do so that you can be a little more level as you're going through it because then you always get it done, but then there's always something else. I say this with everything I do, people are always surprised. I do lots of podcasts, right? I mean, I've done probably three or 4,000 podcasts in my life, wow. honestly, with all the, the, the different things, podcasts, and then there's radio shows, all that kind of stuff. I am sort of nervous. I have like this anxiety before every single one of them. I enjoy <laughs> this, right? There's no pressure to doing this one. This one at this point is strictly, I want it to be good. Yeah. 
but but I enjoy it. It's just music, whatever. But most of today, I had on my mind. I got the pod later. Right. I got to make sure I get it right. Oh, did it, did I make sure I wrote down enough of what I liked about the listener album? And then once we start, I'm fine. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. But I just spent 12 hours sort of <laughs> stressing about it, about talking about three albums that I've listened to. It's it's not even, it, it doesn't take a lot of, but but I do that with everything. Even when, you know, when the Rice Ricky Sanchez did live shows, we were, and I don't know if you're this way when you would play shows, but I would be really hardcore anxious about the show until we're on the stage doing it. And right when we're on the stage doing it, I feel fine. But leading up to it, always total anxiety. I can totally relate to that. Well, both as far as the same thing you were saying about the pod, I was, I'm combing through my notes. Combing, did I say, did I get enough points in? Did I get the setup right? Did I, so that's, uh, it's it's great to hear you say that you go through the same thing and you've done every time. thousands of these things. I, every time, <laughs> every time. That's every good. Time. That's good. And that's how it's supposed to be. And, and if we're talking about performing, now I haven't done it for a while. So now I'm like at a distance from it. But yeah, I still get nervous. It's weird. Some nights more than others. Some nights, whether it's a big crowd or a small crowd, whether I'm doing like a big opening shot or just a small club, some nights I do get more nervous. And then once I get up on stage, I'm in my zone. But then there's other nights where I'm more calm and I'm not affected the same way. Hmm. And I still haven't figured out what, what the is the formula. Is. Yeah, well, yeah. why is it that there's those particular nights? It's probably something not even performance related. It's probably other factors that contribute to me being more tense. But again, once I get once I get on stage, I'm good. And I, I find singing is such a cathartic thing. You know, you can be on stage, whether you're just doing it by yourself or you're on stage, you can lose yourself in it. So that is like its own calming force just to sing. Um, but I still, I do still, I think it's good to feel those nerves. It keeps you, it keeps you wanting to, to stay on top of it, you know? Well, I tell myself that. I tell myself it makes me better at it because I'm always preparing, I'm, I'm so prepared. But we're not talking about things that I'm not good at at right. this point. I know how to do it. I could always be better. Just like, you know, you're a good singer. You're playing a lot of times songs that you've played hundreds of times. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not an execution issue. I, And it's, it's a little, for me, it's a little beyond the nervous energy of, wow, all these people are watching. I wish, if it was just that, that I would like to harness. But I would like to be able to not, dread's the wrong word. Because I, I, I haven't, I don't dread doing the pod. I would like to be able to not feel that stress that I feel. Dang, I, I don't know if I can separate. I don't know if I if I'm if I'm vocalizing it the right way. I like the nervous energy. It just sometimes for me, it gets beyond nervous energy. It just becomes like obsessive. Almost. Well, it becomes tiring. I think there's a point. There's a point where it's good in a small dose, and it mm -hmm. keeps you on on your game. But then it becomes like you were saying. If it becomes hours and hours of that lingering stress, then suddenly it's it becomes something a little more debilitating. And I think that's the thing is like to find tricks to sort of get yourself, your mind away from it. It's really just getting your mind away from it. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. And I'll tell you from a performing standpoint, the nights where I, I sort of lose myself in the performance and I'm not thinking, like I'm not getting to the end of the song and then thinking about the next song and, and I just lose myself, that's when I have a great time. It's all the 
even on stage, the nights where I think more, I can still do a good job because I've done it so much, but it's not going to be the undeniably satisfying experience. It's always to lose yourself in it. That's the, that's the thing. You got to be in the moment. Yeah, you got to stay in the moment. See, I don't worry about nothing, man. I don't worry about it. I don't think about it. You know what I mean? <sighs> I jump right in. And I grip it, and I rip it, and I move on. You guys grip. are, man, you guys are, I don't know, you guys are you, you basket cases, man. Grip it, rip it, move on. That's the next shirt. When we, uh, when yeah. we, earn, when we earn a second shirt, that's grip, the next yeah, shirt. Grip it, rip it, move on. Grip it, rip it, move on. Don't worry, stay in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> moment. It's a, good, it's a good one. That's another... There's certain words, man, that are like just perfect. Like moment. moments, moments one, moments moment. definitely one of them. <laughs> so we have we have three albums we will talk about today. One, Miley Cyrus and her Dead Pets. That is mine. The listener album is the Ark uh, Prayer for the Weekend, and then yours is Estero. Uh, and the name, wait, wait, which album is yours? It is Breath, oh, Breath from, from another. another. Why don't we do the listener one first? Yeah, yeah. You good with should, that? The art? Yeah, yeah. Let's start there. And I should say, well, first but, off, I really like this record, but I should say. Yeah, this, who suggested it? You got you to gotta read the review. Do you have the review? I do. I have, it, okay. I have it handy right here. Um, so this was brought to us, this suggestion was brought to us by Landry Stash. Do, do you know Landry Stash? No, A- maybe. Apple, I, uh, Apple user Landry Stash. Okay. And made a very nice, great suggestion that we we're going to discuss, but- also sort of described us and the pod in a very unique and enjoyable way, I would say. Well, before we get to that, he actually, he or she, I guess we don't know, suggested two albums. One, the one that we're going to talk about. The other one was Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which right. I spent- You love, you love it. I, I spent 10 minutes obliterating on our best <laughs> of 2020. So we, we're not doing that one. We're doing the other one. But how did- this, how did the, so, so again, obviously you can suggest albums in the Apple podcast reviews. How were we described in the Apple podcast review? Here it is. Courtesy of Landry Stash. Delco vegan loves power pop boy bands and caramel hoagie mouth appreciates all things musicological. Let them huh? guide you to out to albums. You didn't know you love because they are also always right. Delco yeah. vegan and uh, caramel, caramel hoagie, hoagie mouth. Yeah, that's beautiful. Is that like poetry, <laughs> man? That's really nice. That's a man. Yeah. That is a really. I don't know if that's maybe a t-shirt. I don't know. That's pretty. Uh, Delco vegan and caramel hoagie mouth. I something tells me you're there has to be on your next record. Doesn't the hidden track have to be caramel? Isn't that can't that be like a a, a hidden a, bonus track? A hidden bonus track. Caramel hoagie mouth. Yeah, I think uh, I think. Well, I have the song Caramel, yeah, and Hoagie Mouth is like a religion at this point. Yeah, so you combine the two, and you get Caramel Hoagie Mouth. So that's a, that's a song title already, right yep. there. <laughs> so the record is the Ark Prayer for the Weekend. Really cool album. Uh, just to give a little background on the Ark, they were formed in 1991 by Ola Salo. They are a Swedish 1991. Band. 1991. Yeah, oh, wow. they were around for like a decade before that their debut really hit. 
Um, they're a Swedish band. They were formed by Ola Salo, who's really the center piece of the band. He's the main guy in Ratna, Sweden. And the name was actually inspired by a poem that uh, Ola had written. He was joined by his friends Lars Lungenberg, Michael <laughs> Jensen. It sounds fake. <laughs> this is real, man. Well, it sounds, did you ever see that movie with Will Ferrell where they they compete in that music TV show? Um, yeah, the uh, wait, not the ice skater one. No, 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 no. There's a uh, the name of the movie. It's on Netflix. It is called. I'll tell you in one second. Oh, uh, the this. Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Have you ever seen this? I haven't, I haven't seen it, no. So you, you have to see it. They, he plays this band, him and his his friend, uh, a female friend, and they compete in this television show, which is like a sort of, not like American Idol, but it's a real show. It's called Eurovision. And it's these bands competing with each other, but it's so over the top. And all of the names are like that. Like Jürgen's Fargenbergen or whatever. <laughs> Scandinavian. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I have such a bizarre name. Uh, I'm, a, you know, my, the, the, the basis of my name is a little further east. They're a little further north. But yeah. Yeah. These are fun names to say. They're a little difficult to say. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry for no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> It wouldn't be an intro for me if it didn't go off the rails. Yeah. Blargen Slargen Dargen. Uh, <laughs> See, now I'm going to be hearing that when I try to say these names. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, one more time. So start <laughs> rewind. Not a full rewind, but no. Started by Ola Salgo. Not Salgo. Ola <laughs> Ola <laughs> Ola Salo. Uh, Nineteen ninety one. His bandmates were Lars <laughs> Lungenberg, Michael uh-huh. Jensen, and <laughs> Magnus Olsen. I'm yes. sorry. I'm, I'm getting like a laughing fit here. I don't know because <laughs> I keep. What's the name you keep saying? Largan, Slargan, Fargan, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Lars Slargan, Fargan. Yep. Okay. So they formed this band, The Ark, and a very cool band, by the way. Very, They're very young at this point. So, yep. uh, 14, 15 years old, something like that. Then, actually, the name of the band, this is a quote from Olo Sala, was kind of the genesis of it was. It was not only intended as a religiously grand symbol, but also as a symbol for sailing away from Ratna and out into the world. So they were trying mm-hmm. to will themselves to be worldwide with this music. But it, it took time because, you know, their first big record wasn't until 2000. So they were kind of working all through the 90s, more on like a local, regional level. In in 95, they had a failed EP release that I think Ola was hoping would break them out to a wider audience, but it only had a limited release. It was called Racing with the Rabbits. I think their earlier music was kind of heavier, and eventually they came around to the more kind of danceable sound that you hear on Prayer for the Weekend. In the late 90s, and when they all moved to Malmo, Sweden, they started doing these shows and parties that were more like, from the sound of it, were more like almost like dance parties. And I think okay. he started getting inspired by that kind of sound. He also saw Kiss in late 1996, and that inspired him with this sort of grandiose theatrical kind of aesthetic, which you can- That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. there's a very sort of theatrical feeling Mm -hmm. to this music. Yeah, for Uh, sure. Finally, after almost a decade of doing it, they signed the Grand Recordings in 99, which then merged with Virgin Records, and that gave them an international platform. And they had a huge success in Scandinavia. The first half of the 2000s, they released three albums, 
We Are the Ark, and Lust We Trust, State of the Ark. They all went to number one in Sweden. Uh, they started really getting, you know, recognition in Europe. They made two more records. The one we're talking about, Prayer for the Weekend, and In Full Regalia before they before they split up. Um, but the record we're talking about, I'll get to in a second. But before we do, mm-hmm. there is one kind of controversy that pretty big controversy that surrounded this band. Actually, was here in the states, and in a way, it derailed their career. Really, they were invited in late 2006, October, to perform outside of the uh, new Swedish embassy in D.C. And the Swedish ambassador was there. As the story goes, as they were performing, <laughs> this is a, I keep thinking Lars Fargenslarken. The, the, the entire <laughs> stage was made of Ikea furniture and it <laughs> collapsed as it was, it was oh, put man. together by college students. No, Something ahead. else also just occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah, grip it, rip it, move on. I just realized where I channeled that from. Where? Have you ever seen Zoolander? Yes, of course. Well, remember Owen Wilson's character says that. Oh, does he? So you stole yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't mean to consciously. It's just well, something. Yeah. I've seen yeah, the movie fine. so many times. So, um, but yeah, that, he's, when they're doing- That movie's a grower. That movie, the first oh, time that, I saw it, I didn't like it. That's a great movie. Oh, that's-, that's I, st- I started thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I, th- I said to myself, I got to watch this again. And when I watched it again, I was like, oh, this movie's genius. Oh, it's you know? genius. Yeah. Uh, Will Ferrell's amazing. Events. When he says, uh, when he knocks over the uh, the model uh, school, he's like, you know, how can we expect the children to to uh, to learn to read if they can't even fit inside the building? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm realizing, you know, Tommy channeled something, because I've seen that movie 20 times. Yeah. Grip It and Rip It is when they're at the like MTV uh, Awards or Model Awards. And they're doing the little background on Hansel. And he's like, that's my life, man. I grip it and rip it. But he didn't say uh, the move on. So, Well, so know. you added that. So it's a new thing. Yeah, grip it, rip it, move, move on. on. And yeah, yeah, and take a leak. How's that? Add one more thing. Now the last And part take is, a leak. Yeah, and take a leak. Just to make it more yeah. crass, you know. Mm-hmm. Outside okay. the embassy. Okay, <laughs> man. <laughs> Am I ever going to do an intro without like, being derailed by It's myself? my fault, though, because yeah, I because derail I keep, it. Do you understand that as I'm doing this, I keep hearing Lars Flargen Slargen in the back of my head. It's like in a loop in the back I, of I my head. I don't think I've said it the same way twice. I, I don't remember Blargen Slargen Flargen. <laughs> As I'm talking, it's like, imagine like a megaphone inside your brain. It's like Lars Flargen Slargen. I, like, I, <laughs> I believe that's Lars Ulrich's father's name is Blargen Slargen Flargen. The Bargen Slargen. Okay. Yeah. So this is actually a pretty intense thing that happened to them and it ended their career in the US. Okay. Oh, wow. They're performing outside of the Swedish embassy. As midway through their show, as they're performing, a plane flies overhead. So Ola Salo gets on the mic and says, Oh no. This, this, which. Oh no. I'll just read it. Here's the quote of what he said. Oh no. Well, you never know in this country where they're heading, right? But that one seems to be heading in the right direction, the White House. Oh, no. This is what he said. I guess it was his idea of a joke. Really just uh, sort of insensitive, tone-deaf, tasteless, horrible joke. Yeah, flying a plane into the White House isn't a funny joke. Yeah, so, of course. Especially, by the way, for somebody who isn't known for comedy. If you were a comedian, I, I could see a world in which you could, like, within, but when you are just a musician- Right. Playing outside of the Swedish embassy in the United States, no. the joke cannot be 
let's hope the plane flies into the White House. It will not fly. And apparently there was sort of this unease after he said it, understandably, in the audience. And uh, there was like immediate backlash. Washington Post picked it up. It got all kinds of coverage. And they ended up canceling the rest of their U.S. tour. Really? Yeah. They just ended up having to cancel the whole U.S. tour. And they played one final show at the Bowery Ballroom. And that was it. They never played in the U.S. again. Kind of a crazy uh, footnote in their career. But this was late 2006, which is actually right before the record we're talking about, uh, Prayer for the Weekend, which came out April 20, 2007. Once again, number one on the Swedish chart and stayed in top 20 for 20 weeks there. They did a whole tour throughout the summer and fall uh, throughout Europe. I imagine if... Ola hadn't said what he said, that incredibly horrible joke that he made. Maybe they would have toured the U.S. too. Because I'm thinking of bands from that time, like mid-late 2000s. There could have been a place for them with this sound. And I, I can't remember. In, oh, okay. No, I do remember. So 06, 07. I do remember because that's when I was living in Chicago. It's funny. That's when Dragon Force uh, came to prominence. Do you remember Dragon Force? Dragon Force? No. Oh, we got to. I don't think we can do a whole episode on Dragon Force, but I'll, I'll send you Dragon Force. Glam rock? Glam rock band as well? Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Not glam rock, but not regular metal, but some of the craziest fucking guitar playing you'll ever hear in your really? life. Yeah, 06 or 07, I could imagine it fitting into that time. It's a really well. strong because, record. I mean, it, yeah, it definitely would have fit in, I think. Well, two of the, when we get to it, you know, I, I end up, talking about the Scissor Sisters and the darkness when when I think of them. And they were both in the, at that time was pretty much there when they were when they were popular. Darkness a little bit before then. But, but yeah, anyway. Scissor Sisters, especially right at that time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So I could have imagined them yeah. touring together. Just it would have been a great fit. Yeah. Uh, but so they toured, they were named best live act of the year in the Swedish Rock Bjornen Awards. <laughs> Shouldn't of course. Even, why did I even say the word? Yeah. And um, Lars Slargen Flargen. And um, they basically made one more record after that. And that was kind of the end of their run. I believe they started hmm. to actually, they were off for about a decade and were doing some reunion shows or planning to. I don't know if they got derailed by COVID, but I think even earlier this year, they actually got back and played some shows. But just getting into this record, I, I really dug it. I found it to be just a really entertaining, enjoyable, listen all the way through. I mean, right away, you hear the the David Bowie, T-Rex. Yeah. 70s glam rock type of thing. Here's what I like about this record. It's the kind of thing where it it knows what it is, you know? It knows what it is. It knows what it's trying to achieve. And they nail it. I think there's a high level of pop song craft. There's a, a few tunes in particular like uh, Thorazine Corazon. I really like that. had that kind of laid back, funky guitar. kind of thing that really works well with this kind of sound and uh give me love to give that's right towards the end that kind of has that nice anthemic sing-along 
kind of vibe. It has this cool horn line. And there's actually the very last song. I kind of was hope. I wish they would have done an, another tune or two like this. So I would have looked for a couple more moments. There's kind of a quieter thing. And, oh, you know, Ola Salo was really, you could really catch a lot of the nuance of voice. He's a pretty good singer. You realize that I need comfort. Words that are spells. Laughter that's transport from day to day. Um, excellent singer, actually. So, yeah, I mean, what did, you, what did you think about it? First of all, Gimme Love to Give is the catchiest shit ever. That song is a banger. Oh, I will listen killer. to that song forever. That song specifically reminded me of Scissor Sisters. And you remember Mika? That's on Grace Kelly. Yes, yes, of course. Remind, reminded me of that too. Put me just, I, I, so I have this thing. I hate dancing. I, I love music. I, I think I have good rhythm. When I'm drunk, maybe by myself a little bit, I'll move around and dance. I don't like dancing in public. I, I swore off dancing in public about two years ago. I, I said, I decided, I told my wife, I said, I don't care if we're at a wedding, I'm not dancing anymore. I just, I hate it. I feel self-conscious. And Jason, who was on our year-end episode, mm -hmm. we were both at the same Backstreet Boys concert. And this is separate, but we're at the same concert. And, and what year is this? What year is this? Oh, this is two years ago, three years, whatever they toured last. And this was after I had sworn off dancing. And Jason said, he said, he told me afterwards, I watched you because I thought you were lying about not dancing. He goes, but you didn't dance the entire concert. And I was like, no, I hate it. I hate dancing. But Is it just that you don't, you, I don't you feel self-conscious about it or you don't feel? I don't know what to do. You Have you ever been on camera and you don't know where to put your hands? Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. That's all of dancing to me. That's the entire feeling. I don't know where to put my hands. I If, if I'm really dancing, if I'm really feeling it, I know I look completely ridiculous, that it's over the top and ridiculous. I don't know how to regular dance. I don't know how people do it. And I just, I don't like it. But what I was going to say is songs like this, things like Take Your Mama by Scissor Sisters. Oh, that's a great or, track. Great yeah, track. Or, it just, or Grace Kelly. That'll make me, that'll make me want to dance. So I love this. As soon as I heard it, as soon as I went into it, and I, I broke the rule by, I, I very briefly texted you about this record when mm. it came out. <laughs> I think I just said, when I started listening, hey, how about the arc, huh? Just that, it was just something minimal because it wasn't what I was expecting. The most important thing for music like this is you ki they cannot be kidding. Because if they're kidding, I don't want a joke band, you know? Right. I, I love 80s hair bands, but uh, what's that? sort of hair band that got, that played on the strip forever playing covers and then got famous. Oh, they, they weren't, they, the Reese very recently. Yeah, last 15 years. Oh. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up at some, whatever it is. They're, they're great players, the, the guitar player's great, the singer's great, but they're kidding. And I don't, I don't want a joke band. It was exactly when The Offspring went off the rails to me, when they started 
goofing around all the time. And it took me a few songs. That's why I didn't like the darkness and I do like the Scissor Sisters. Darkness always seemed like they were playing a joke on me or something. As soon as I started listening, my first question was, as long as they're not kidding, I'm gonna like this. Right. And they're not kidding, they're being serious. Not that they're being too serious or anything, but they're not, this is not a, a gag. You know, they're they're a real band as much as we laugh about the names and, and all that. And when you look at the picture of it, <laughs> when you look at them, they look like they're kidding, you know, almost they look like they're at, like some sort of futuristic ABBA or something, but they are really, really good. There is a, uh, there's a song on there called The Worrying Kind. was really good too that was one of my favorites on the record what kept popping in my head was this song sounds like an 80s sitcom theme song to me but a good one it sounds like and it, greatest american hero is not a sitcom but it was one of the good ones and then it clicked do you know the show courtship of eddie's father no uh great show with bill bixby I want you to, there's a song, people let me tell you about my best friend. Well, you know, what time you know, frame is this from? Uh, it, it's like 81 or 82. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't old enough to watch it at the time, but I'm pretty sure it was on Nickelodeon in reruns or it was mm. on channel 57 or something. She's a warm hearted person who loved me till the end. The worrying kind is right in that pocket. And then there's another song called The New Pollution, which you talk about T-Rex, British Invasion, British, like the, the, the British glam stuff that I got into was influenced by T-Rexes like Def Leppard. And New Pollution had a real early Def Leppard vibe to me, high and dry, yep. um, pyromania era Def Leppard. It's a really good album. I enjoy it a lot. I don't, I don't love every song on it, but there are four or five songs that are going to stick around for me. Like, yeah, and I think you keyed in on something that makes it special is the sense that this music is fun. It's not taking itself too seriously, but there's substance in the songs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, reading up on their history, you know, there was a time, I think early on, where they were like, the, the themes in their music were pretty religious or there was religious symbolism even in their name, and it was heavier and deeper. And he had an epiphany, Ola, Salo, at a point. It would be good to couple those two things, like those deeper themes, maybe that's kind of religious imagery with something that's fun and danceable. I think that's why I like it so much too, is that the music is, it, first off, it's really well recorded, really well written. Mm -hmm. It's got just a danceable type of feel to it, but there's substance in the lyrics. There's something, you know, um, give me love. What was that? Uh, give me, what's the, uh, what's the tune now? Give me love to give, mm -hmm. you know, a tune like that, you know, he's searching, he's like trying to figure out how, how, how can I get past this feeling of wanting to feel any kind of animosity or hatred or resentment? How can I transcend that? That's a pretty noble pursuit to talk about in a song. Yeah. And I think that's, that is, it's that tandem of elements danceable kind of grooves, but with something that's that's more heartfelt and earnest. I think that's really what makes them pretty special. They're pr pretty great band. Yeah, I think so too. All good. It sounds like they, obviously we haven't seen them live, but they sound like they can play, you know? Yeah. You can, you can certainly sing. 
Uh, have you ever seen, I was just thinking about the 80s. It, I almost think we could do a, a pod on this. Have you ever seen the documentary, Decline of Western Civilization Part Two: The Metal Years? No. So it's about the Sunset Strip hairband scene in the 80s. And Ozzy's in it and Wasp and Faster Pussycat and Poison and uh, Kiss. Man, I will find a, a, a place where you can stream it, where you can watch it. We should do an episode on that movie sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like that idea every once in a while, like break the rhythm and uh, just something there's different. something we want to key in on like that, like a film, yeah. like a music documentary or something. I think that would be a good good direction to go. Yeah, oh, there's so many good music docs. I don't know if you said there, the, the Blind Melon one that came out this year was really great uh, man there are so many good ones that's so the next band you gotta hit me i know who they are i'm aware oh blind melon oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe i'll pick that one the next time we do albums maybe I'll pick yeah we gotta keep one. going through your yeah. all-time uh yeah groups. uh so i like it thumbs up for me i appreciate Absolutely. this suggestion great pick landry stash and great description yes caramel hoagie mouth over caramel here. hoagie mouth and delco vegan so mine is Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. So everyone knows who Miley Cyrus is. I guess for me, I did not, I only had some, I had like general awareness until the MTV Video Music Awards in I think 2014. And that's when her performance was pretty outrageous. I watched and I was like, wow, what is this? You know, this is the weirdest shit. Clearly nobody was ready for it. And it made me, Rather than just some sort of, you know, 14-year-old pop star, made me curious as to what the music was about. So, so 2013 Bangers comes out. Bangers solo record uh, has two enormous hits on it. We Can't Stop and Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball, obviously, one of the, the great pop songs to me of the, uh, of the 2000s. Absolutely. Uh, we Can't Stop, awesome. Sort of an uneven album, but a great record. But while she is working on that album, she actually is working on another album, which would end up being Miley Cyrus and her Dead Pets. There's an interesting Philly connection here. At the time, she was with Liam Hem Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth was in Philadelphia uh, filming a movie. She spends the summer in Philadelphia. Really? And Correct. Yeah, what kind and, of hoagie she like, man? Yeah, well, we have to get that information. <laughs> and becomes radicalized, basically, <laughs> by Philly. Goes on South Street, buys Doc Martens, I think shaves her head, and starts on her journey to all these different kinds of music. I think it got her onto drugs. She had a, a drug phase, all that kind of stuff. But it all starts and in- And you're saying this is all thanks to Philadelphia? It, it was in, there's, there's some great quotes Wow. From when she lived in Philadelphia, yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Philly. So she gets to be friendly with Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips. Flaming Lips, very famous, super weird alternative band. Out of nowhere, in, uh, is it 2014 or 2015? I think it's 2015. Out of nowhere, Miley Cyrus and her Dead Pets album comes out. Released only on SoundCloud. 
without the permission or blessing of her record label. Really? Yeah, record label at the time, RCA, which is part of Sony. There's no physical release of it, no CD, not on streaming services, just on SoundCloud. She puts it out herself. I'm like, what's this? And I listen to it and it's super weird. My first impression of it was, I love the idea, but I, I don't like the album at all. Then she does this club tour. I think it's maybe 10 or 11 dates. Record label, not involved at all. I even reached out to a guy I know at the label. I was like, hey, are you at the Dead Pet show? Nah, like very, very short answer. So clearly they were unhappy about the whole thing. But I saw the tour at the then Electric Factory would become the Franklin Music Hall with Flaming Lips toured with her. Oh, wow, really? Yes. That's crazy. Whole tour. Who are amazing live because I've seen them live half a dozen times. Yeah, and it's goofy and weird and cartoonish and the entire Did she thing. get in the big inflate the ball thing? Did she jump into that like Wayne Coyne? I don't think it? she did. Wayne Coyne probably th- did. Yes. I've never seen a show where he didn't do that. <laughs> so I see it and I'm like, man, I got to revisit the album. Revisit the album. So the album is her Flaming Lips are basically on every, you know, every track. Wayne Coyne produces a lot of it. Mike Will made it who produced some of her other tracks on bangers and a hip hop sort of producer produces a few of the tracks. The album's all over the place. This is the sort of album that, and I'm not Mr. Fight for the women guy or whatever. You know, I want everybody to have equal opportunity, but that if a guy pop star did a record like this, he would be praised on Magazine cover after magazine cover after magazine cover. You know, you get guys like Harry Styles, who I like from One Direction, but Harry Styles puts out a record that basically just sounds like a classic alternative album. And it's like, oh my God, look at what Harry Styles has done. He's grown up, blah, 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 blah. Just all this praise. Justin Timberlake puts out Man of the Woods, which is just a a dog shit, is terrible. (laughs) Uh, But- Tons of praise. Whereas she does an album like this, which is truly experimental and is truly exciting. It's gotten more, it's gotten sort of cult status as it's gone on, but I I think is proof. And I think her career has been proof that she is willing to try anything. And I think she will, she stumbled onto great songs and good albums. I think at some point she's going to stumble on a legendary album. So I like this album a lot. Every song isn't great, but there are great songs. It opens up with this song called Do It. which is weird and lets you know. This as is soon what as you're you, in for. <laughs> yep, right? Because you had no, and we'll, we'll get to it, but you had no no idea where this was coming from, only knew Miley the pop star, and then you hear do it, and you're like, well, what is this? And it's sort of, in the first half of the record, you can hear the flaming lips. There's a song called Karen, Don't Be Sad.
is sounds like a Flaming Lips song, is flighty and druggy, but also sort of sweet. And there's another song called Something About Space Dude, which is a, again- That was one one of my favorites. uh, Such a good tune. Yeah, it's really good. And then later, there's a Mike Will Made It produced song called Lighter. Of all the songs on it, it doesn't sound close to what she did before, but definitely has the pop sensibility that maybe not another song on the album has. And I, I think that song uh, lasts for me more than a lot of the other songs do. I like this album a lot, but I love it for what it... I, I like the songs, but I love the album for what it is and its existence. It is on Spotify and Apple Music now, but it didn't come on Spotify and Apple Music for three more years. It wasn't until 2017 when it finally got on the streaming services. Uh, so it was only on on SoundCloud until then. That whole so, time, really? So they mm-hmm. were pissed off about this. They did not yeah, want... they had to be. And, yeah. you, and, and you touched on something that isn't that such a terrible double standard that... Those records and those artists that you mentioned that are sort of middle of the road, those artists, male artists get praised for, she does something totally bonkers and mm-hmm. creative and interesting and there's a backlash for it and her own label doesn't support her. Right. That's the part of the industry that just gets me sometimes. How would you, how could you be at a label, you have one of the biggest stars in the world mm-hmm. on your roster and she does something adventurous like this. She takes a chance. She shows that she's an artist. And, and, and you reject I, that? I don't understand that. I, I don't get that thinking. Well, it is, it short, and I have a lot of friends at labels and I, I, I think they do, you know, they now more than ever, they have a, a I think they have a, a more complicated job than they used to have. Well, now they have to work for it, but they have a more complicated job than they used to have. But still, it really shows, I can understand if you're at RCA and you have, you know, the third or fourth single from Bangers about to come out. And all of a sudden, there is this enormous distraction that your artist drops this entire album, tells you she wants to go tour under this, doesn't want to play in Bangers songs anymore. I get all that. But to invest in the artist, that's when you, you think to yourself, maybe we lose this album cycle, but we gain an artist that we get 25 years out of right. that can tour that we don't have to stick on tour with pop stars. Maybe we can stick on Lollapalooza and we can stick on, you know, Coachella and stick on all these different things that she could do. If we, if, if we go all in on this and push it, even if we don't make one cent out of it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's, it's creating a legacy mm-hmm. artists who you look back and have this kind of record, even if they're considered pop stars, quote unquote, and she is a pop superstar. Mm-hmm. To have a record like this, that makes her story and her legacy so much more interesting. And I'm, I mean, I was predisposed to like this record because I love the Flaming Lips. As a matter of fact, uh, okay. I, I keep thinking about wanting to put in Yoshimi Battles of the Pink Robots into one of these episodes. You, I mean, you can hear the Wayne Coyne influence in this yep you know it's like an interesting thing when you have two bands or two artists that i would never have thought of coming together mm-hmm. i would never think miley cyrus and you know wayne coin the flaming lips and see them work together and how seamless it is a lot of their sonic backdrops 
from the songwriting, you can hear it. There are moments that remind me of Yoshimi, and yet it's all her. It's her personality mm-hmm. coming through, and I really, I just really appreciate that. Even some of the songs, just look at some of these songs titles, like Fucking Fucked Up, Bang Me Box, Milky Milky Milk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just scrolling through looking at the titles, and I was like, what is happening here? What What is this? And it's just, it just, it melts your brain. And, and the way, look, you've compared her to Madonna. Now I understand why you do that. Because she has this thing where she's not afraid to talk about sex and not afraid to, she's talk courageous about, like that, you know? Yep. Drugs and sex. Drugs and, and sex. And be graphic about it. Yep. You know, and, and in the same way Prince would do too. You know, he was mm-hmm. never afraid of doing that either. Uh, you know, that's, that. I guess I've heard you make the Madonna comparison. I understood it after listening to this record. You know, there's the one where she's talking about how her, her boyfriend is doing PDA and it's getting on her nerves. I look like a dumbass bitch and I'm not a fucking dumbass bitch. You know, I, I hate all that fucking PDA. I probably hate it more than your fucking friends do. You know, it's sweet and you couldn't be more opposite of my last dickhead. But, you know, I just, I don't know. And just kind of like... <laughs> It was like a spoken section. I was like, this is such an original song. Like, who who writes a song? Like, she just captured a moment and a thing that annoyed her and put it into a song, and it works really well. Everyone compares Lady Gaga to Madonna. And the, the difference, Lady Gaga's songs sound like Madonna. But to me, and no offense, Lady Gaga looks like she's doing a tribute to Madonna for me. That's what it seems like to me. She's doing a Madonna thing. When I compare Miley Cyrus to Madonna, I'm talking about what Madonna was at the time. Right. You remember when that sex book came out and Mm -hmm. when Vogue came out and every time she did something, it was different and weird. And it didn't, when Evita came out, it didn't always work, you know, in the, the same way, but it was always her pushing it. And she was, you know, she would talk about sex that way. The only other female artists I think talk about that were like at, at you know, Foxy Brown and Little Kim would, but it, there's not a, now of course it's all over the place, but I, I think at the time it was pretty frank and different. And um, yeah, I, I think she's great. You know, I'm glad she continues to, every album that comes out is different. You know, before, th- this new one that's out is a rock album, and the one before it was sort of a um, almost a singer songwritery. You know, I think you were saying you felt that was a little more of a misstep, I guess. Yeah, I, not so much I, her thing. I love that kind of music. I just didn't think it worked as well. And then there was a, a really good weird EP in the middle. She's just done so much. So you like this, right? You, yeah, you like I really yeah. really liked it. I I feel like it's a kind of record you have to. I need to live with it even more because it's so dense, like ninety minutes long. Mm-hmm. But just for a pop superstar to take a chance like this, make a ninety minute album that goes in so many different directions. In I guess that was the streaming era, right? This was 2015. We were at least in the mm-hmm. early stages of that. Yeah. You know, who even thinks of making a record? This is like two records. Yeah. And uh, no, it just shows it just shows how adventurous and courageous she is as an artist. And I just love artists that are willing to take chances. It, it, like you said it perfectly, even if it fails. Mm-hmm. It fails, but you tried something. David Bowie was like that. That's a huge part of his legacy is that he would keep reinventing himself. You know, like Young mm-hmm. Americans – was so different at that time than anything he'd ever done. He was doing this Philly soul thing, you know, and he would just keep taking chances and it wouldn't always work. 
but I really she's here to stay because I, I think because she made a record like this, it shows you the range that she has and it shows you that kind of fearlessness. And that's not not afraid to fail, you know? Right, she's, that's huge. She's she's really doing this Metallica covers album. Is that which, really a thing? Wow. Yeah, it's really a thing. I, I read that she has Elton John, I think, is going to be on it. Uh, I'm curious. That's amazing. Yeah, there was a story. Wait, let me see who Well, I'm else. interested to hear it because, you know. <laughs> yeah, Elton John is playing. Elton John, Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith are both going to be on it as well. So it looks like it's really going to happen. I thought it was kidding, but it looks like it's really going to happen. So, so, yeah, so thumbs up I'm, from you. I'm, I'm here for it. Why not? You know? All right. Yeah, Metallica. I love Metallica, me. Ride the yeah. lightning. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. Of course. Uh, <laughs> all right. So that's a thumbs up from you. Thumbs up. All right. Good. We are the uh, podcast music, Siskel and Ebert. I'm Ebert. And, you're Siskel. Uh, right? Isn't the, that how we? Yeah. I mean, Ebert had better taste, but I'll, 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 uh, you know, you're the real musician. I'm talking, so. No, but I'm talking more as far as uh, physical. Uh, yeah, I knew, I knew that's where you were going. Like yeah, I'm talking I, the branding. I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the branding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, your album. <clears throat> Let me get a sip of water here. Yes, oh, Estero. Yeah. Estero. This is one of my favorite albums of all time, without a doubt. Um, just to give a little background on Estero, she's born Jenny B. Englishman in S Startford, Ontario. At the age of 16, she got started really early in the music business. She moved from a small town, Walkerton, Ontario, to Toronto. She started performing at open mics and working odd jobs and was discovered pretty much right around that time uh, by a management team who then connected her to the head of EMI Music, Publishing Canada. So she had like, well, kind of like Jem, you know, she had this mm -hmm. sort of publishing company label interest at a very young age without really touring. And it makes me think of how much times have changed because this was a common story back then. Nowadays, you don't have something viral if you don't have like a grassroots touring thing. Unless you're doing something very top 40, it's tough to break in. But this was a different time, late 90s, boom of the CD era, you know, everyone was getting deals. So she gets this publishing deal and connects with and uh, this guy, Michael McCartan. He actually pays and sets up for studio sessions for her and Martin Doc McKinney, who's her main collaborator on this record. This Breath From Another is really a, a collaboration between Estero and Doc as he goes by. Okay. He's a great guitarist, songwriter, producer. He's worked with other artists too. Should uh, I say he, the name sounds familiar? I wonder yeah, if he's, he's done, he's worked with like, I think some bigger pop names and um, definitely, I think he did some stuff with The Weeknd, maybe. Uh, maybe that's what yeah. I yeah. yeah, he's been at it for a while. Very talented guy. But they they created this creative partnership. And because they had financing, uh, the head of EMI Music Publishing Canada basically put them in the studio. I guess they had actually met through some mutual friends. They started collaborating. And right away, they're turning out songs. In a short matter of time, they had every big label interested. And they got signed, uh, I think, in early 98. Uh, they eventually signed with Sony Work label, the Sony Work label. Early 98, they put out Short of Breath, which is a promo EP with several of the tunes that are on Breath From Another. And then Breath From Another dropped in April 1998. Received really good reviews. 
Uh, for example, Tom Demelon and All Music called it too scrumptious to be ignored. I like that. Scrumptious. <laughs> scrumptious How is often do you hear scrumptious with, uh, with, with music, you know? Yeah, rarely. Uh, she, she, they were named, uh, the record was named Best Alternative Album at the 1999 Juno Awards. She got a gold record in Canada. Now, here in the States, it didn't have a huge level of success. It wasn't like a big commercial success. She didn't really have any big hits, but... It became, I think, kind of a cult classic. You know, I mm-hmm. think everyone that I know that is into this record is like really into it, and myself included. I think what I like about it is it takes some of that trip hop sound, which I always loved. You know, Massive Attack, yeah. Bjork, Portishead. I especially always loved Massive Attack. But Massive then Attack's awesome. Killer group. We probably, probably should do one of their records. Yeah. Uh, but is interesting because this album is a little different because it takes that sound some of those core elements, but then also brings in this like soulfulness and this almost jazzy kind of element to it that you don't normally hear in that trip hop sound. And in a 2016 interview, Doc actually said that the production was really, this is, I thought this was interesting. He said it was inspired by reggae, Calypso, house music, as well as Bjork, Massive Attack and Portishead. So I can hear that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ingredients, but it's very distinctively their sound, her sound, you know, and I think listen, it's interesting revisiting it, listening to it again. I wouldn't say every song is over the top, like great as from a just a pure song standpoint. There mm-hmm. are a few tunes that are just kind of a groove and a vibe. I think there's one even early on. It's called Anyways. Where it's cool, it's musical, but it's not like a crafted song. But I think the best songs on this album are the ones, the thing we always talk about. Well, yeah, the production production is great, the performance is great, but also there's a great song underneath. And when you strip away all that production, it's there. And I think songs like Breath From Another... Girl, Country Living, The World I Know, and Half the World Away are songs like that where you can hear the production stripped away and there's a really good song in there. I think actually my favorite tune on this record is uh, Country Living, The World I Know. It kind of has the DNA of, I think, what makes this album special. It's soulful it's got like the jazz influenced kind of vocal it has a really cool lush tasteful kind of string arrangement it has a really cool acoustic part that's one thing i think that drew me into this is the acoustic guitar kind of plays a significant role in this record especially on certain songs like this one and then it has that trip hop beat it has all these elements and then i think she just puts it all over the top as a singer i could see her in front of a jazz combo just singing standards she can do more of an r&b thing she can be very understated. She can belt it out if she needs to. She's just a really dynamic singer. And I just, this is one of my favorite albums. I'm curious to see what she thought. I've heard the name before we did this, but I, I don't think I had ever listened to Stero before. I know I had seen the name before. As soon as the album started, 
it was funny for this one to happen almost right after Jem. And I thought to myself, man, yeah, <laughs> Mulu loves the female singer with the the music that's all over the place. That, yeah, that's and sort of like. the electronic, yep, trip hop. I guess that is my bag, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. <laughs> so I liked it a lot. These were the things that went through my head before I get into the specific songs. The things that it made me feel when I was listening to it. The first thing it made me feel was I'm in a a fancy but trendy restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's the music seemed to me. I am in <laughs> a Stephen Star restaurant. That is, if you're in Philly, that's yes. That, you know, not not a, a steakhouse, not an Italian restaurant, but one. You know, there's a waterfall in the middle of the <laughs> the restaurant. That's that's what the music sounded like to me. Right. Then, <laughs> as I'm listening to it, there's a, a few other artists that that hit me. And I, I always do this, but it it helps me. I heard some Sade in her vocals. Absolutely. At times. Absolutely. And country live the country living song was one where I was like, man, this is where she's really getting in sort of an R and B like jazz kind of groove. And I hear Sade. Then I hear Dido, mm-hmm. you know? And and what uh, it, this is probably a record that probably influences things like that. And then there's, and then getting into specific songs, there's a song called Love Heaven Sent, which mm-hmm. is definitely makes me think of Dido, but then there's these heavy sort of rock guitars out of nowhere. It isn't something that you expect in the album. And her voice against those guitars reminded me of a band called the Juliana Hatfield Three. I don't know if you know Juliana I've heard, Hatfield. I've heard of her, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she sang on, you know, Lemonhead's records. She, she was part of that whole, she was, her and Evan Dando, that early to mid-90s alternative, you know, poppy alternative sort of thing. But when she was singing with the guitars, it reminded me of that. And the other thing that I really liked, and it had on Indigo Boy, I noticed it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the strings. The orchestration on the album is done, and I love that, you know, from when we did the Diorama album. I love orchestral things. But it is done, it's never over the top. And it never feels like it happens for very long. It's in parts of songs. Right. It, it seems like it's used as accent. And she does some really cool vocal stuff in Indigo Boy too, where that's a song that is more, maybe more Portis heady and Massive Attack than, than some of the other songs that are a little more, a little more down the middle than that one was. But it is a, it's another grower type album, 
uh, I think that the sound of it itself is attractive when you first listen to it. It's an easy listen. There's a lot going on, but because, and her voice is really, really good, but because there's so much going on, you need to get through the couple of times to actually hear the songs be, and, and stop hearing all the different things going on in the songs. That was the thing that I noticed about it. Yeah. And I, and just piggyback on that, like it's definitely the standout moments are actually always when some of that clears away mm-hmm. and you get, I think that's why I love, uh, you know, country live in the world. I know so much because there's parts of that that are, are kind of just this cool handpicked guitar against her voice. And she's just kind of crooning on top of it. And then you mentioned Heaven Sent. That's the thing I was talking about. Like, she can actually go there, too. She can belt mm-hmm. it out like that with a little bit of rasp and kind of fire in it. She's, you know what? I feel like she's unheralded. I feel like the people that know her, mm-hmm. love her, and are fans. But she just never had, like, the big hit. But I just think she's so much better than any number of pop singers I've heard. You know, it's just that she's different. And, and you know, if you don't land that one big smash single, maybe you don't you're not at a place where you're selling out amphitheaters and arenas, but she's had, she just has something very unique and she she made a couple more records since that, since this one that were good, uh, you know, but I don't like them nearly as much as I like this one. This was just a really special collaboration. You got to give doc a lot of credit too. his production. You were saying it is kind of all over the place, but somehow Mm -hmm. it feels of a whole. It doesn't feel like, okay, they did a song that has this vibe and this vibe. Like they, there is kind of a thread, and I think that's maybe because they wrote and really produced everything together. And he, you really touched on something that I think is special. And I hadn't even consciously thought of it. The strings are, it's both the arrangement themselves, the fact that they're limited and selective, and even where he puts them in the mix, they're more like a texture. You know, sometimes yes. there'll be a string line that's really grandiose and it dominates the whole mm-hmm. space. He doesn't do that. His strings are more like a flavor. They're like a touch that's really cool and it's it's kind of a secret weapon i think in this album yeah and don't get me wrong i like big obvious strings oh I, yeah oh yeah that that i i'm all for production lush over the top but when i noticed this is this is how i noticed that that the strings were that way when i was going through trying to find there were strings that i remembered trying to find them and i would track through the songs and I couldn't find it. And the reason I couldn't find it is because, you know, you put on Diorama or the, the Silver Chair album that came before it. And who's the guy that did the strings? Real famous guy. Um, um, uh, well, we, we talked about him on that episode. Yeah. Oh my, he worked with the Beach Boys. Yeah. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? Parks? Yeah. Uh, Van, is it Van Dyke Van, Parks. Van Dyke Van Parks. Parks. Yes. You don't have to search very hard on those records to find where the strings are. But when I went back in this album to try to find it, I actually had to immerse myself in the songs just to get sometimes a minute into the song before you even heard it. And it's just in the pre-chorus or it's- uh, And then it's, it's gone, right? never bridge. even comes. I think there's a couple of times where it's just there for a section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then doesn't come back. I think on Country Living, they're there a little more wall to wall. Mm-hmm. And that's, man, that particular arrangement on that song is its own melody. You know, uh, talking about Diorama, which is, man, still just such a great record. I just kind of stepped away from it, came back to it. You know, the best string parts 
are a counter melody to what the vocalist mm-hmm. is doing, yep. to what other instruments are doing. But then within that space where they're not in the way of anything, they create their own melody. And suddenly you have this, like almost, that's when pop music becomes symphonic. Yeah, And I guess it makes sense. You're putting an orchestra or, or a string quartet, whatever you're putting in there. But they're really, I don't know, to me, it sounds like you feel the same way. No matter what the context, when you have really well done string arrangements, it just makes the record better. Uh, it just doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it puts it into a different place. I heard Nick Luone, who produced the album before Diorama, produced David Bottrell produced Diorama, but uh, Nick Luone produced Neon Ballroom. <clears throat> and he said that one of the things that he had to do with Daniel Johns was... Daniel Johns would want to put seven different melodies in one song. (laughs) And he would say that people can't hear more than two or three, and that's all you can do. But just when strings have their own, like a completely separate part over the, the song that's playing is really cool when you can do that. I'm always, you know, I understand music in a very basic way. But when things like that are happening, I'm always so impressed by it. It's just, it's so neat to me to layer a melody over another melody, you know, and and be able to hear where that would go and have it be something that maybe most people that are listening won't even notice. Right. But even if they don't notice it, they're going to still feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like you listen enough and you kind of, your ears get tuned in, you will start to pick it out. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing with the great string part is a lot of times someone who's listening, if, even if it's more passive, the track feels different to them. But they may mm-hmm. not key in on why they love it so much or what makes it so satisfying. I think that's what I like about this record is the strings are this subtle kind of thing that yeah. if you were to take them away, I don't think it would be the same record, though. See, that's the no, thing. No, well, because the album wouldn't sound as laid back as it does. It wouldn't. Right. Not not to make the joke again, but it wouldn't sound like an album that would be on That's in a fancy, star. trendy restaurant. <laughs> you really set the scene perfect because I, I, mean, I, I probably yeah. heard one of these tunes that, yeah, you're oh, sitting, sure. you're having like a martini, right? You're, yep. at, the, you're at the bar. Uh-huh. Everybody's real smooth. Yeah, they're real yep. smooth. Yeah, they're looking yep. real nice. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. Yeah, they don't invite me to those places, man. No, uh, no, man. Uh, Tommy, you don't. No, he, he, doesn't, go to those. he doesn't have any business there. But um, no, I know exactly what you mean. But uh, no, nah, I'm glad you dug it because I. Yeah, one thing cool. with, with this spot is that sometimes records that I love that I step back into again, and I'm always curious like what my perception is going to be. And this one, same thing with Jam. Same thing happened where I jumped mm-hmm. in back in and I was like, oh man, I just remembered why I loved it so much. So yeah. glad you dug it. I, it's, it's, you, that's a good point. It's cool to hear the new albums, but it's also cool for me to go back and find the ones that I wanted to talk about, you know, that maybe I haven't listened to in a while right. uh, and revisit those just so I can, you know, find the, th- because talking about music is different than listening to it in that, I have a million albums that I love, but for me to say what I like about it and pick things out, I have to go back and, you know, sort of listen to it and page through it. And it, it's a nice experience to go back through those albums. It like gets that. back to the, what we were talking about at the beginning of the pod, the thing that makes both of us nervous. Like, did I get enough points in? Right. It's actually, it's, it's, it's some effort. It's fun, but it's effort to look at a record 
and try to understand what makes it special and then and think of it in that way that you can kind of discuss it because I think a lot of people listen to music and they don't think of it in that way. What we're doing mm-hmm. is, here's that word again, musicological. Musicological. Yeah. No, it is. And for me, I've always had an obsessive musicological way of listening to to records, but because I didn't have an outlet to necessarily talk about it in this particular way. Mm-hmm. Now I'm understanding, I'm seeing like threads now that we're like, I guess almost a dozen records uh, episodes in, I'm seeing threads of what I like in music in a more profound way, whether it's your pick, the listener pick or my pick, even something I'm revisiting. Like one example of that, there's a lot of things, but the song, I think we can both always agree if the song is undeniable that's what makes something special, no matter how yeah. you dress it up, what the surrounding production is. But to key in on those things that make it special, it's like you're trying to understand the magic. I think that's that's what's been really great for me is like to 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 kind of engage in a more constructive way. And once you put in that time, you're like, oh, okay, that's why this record is that's why this connects, you know. This is yeah. It's it's a cool process to go through, you know, but there's anxiety with it too, because you wanna you want to formulate your thoughts in a clear way, you know? Yeah, well, it's easy to find albums with great songs. Like, it, to your point, it's it's the what's beyond the great song. That X factor, that intangible yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, good episode. Yes, if indeed. I may say so myself. Three good albums. Hells uh, yeah. And Lars, well, I'd like to th- uh, thank, I'd like to thank Land- Landry Stash for- Yep. Phenomenal quote description and lo- what is his name again? Mars Flargan Slargan. Flargan Slargan. Yeah. He's always here for us. Yeah, he's a hell always. of a guy. Yeah, great guy. Great, great, guy. Guy. Uh, great guy. And one hell of a model American. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, that's all we got. Stay free, my goose. Mm-hmm.